If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the first 19 verses of this chapter. Let's all stand together. And we will read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. I'll read the first verse and ask that you join with me on the second, and we will continue reading every other verse. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man named Tarsus, named, uh, a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Father, we ask now that over these next few moments, as we uh, seek to learn and study and grow <coughs> through, the <coughs> uh, through your word this morning, I just pray that you would impress this text on each heart here, uh, that you would once again remind us of your amazing grace in saving even sinners like us. Pray that you would help us to be thankful, uh, be amazed once again at the fact that you have drawn us to Christ. Uh, While we were still in our sins, you died for us. While we were enemies of Christ, you came and rescued us. We pray that you would impress these truths on our hearts this morning through the uh, study of the conversion of Saul. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, You can tell a lot about a relationship Uh, by what people call each other. When I was young, 
<clears throat> Most people called me Davy. <clears throat> Don't get any ideas. Uh, but that's what everybody called me. My name was Davy until I was probably like 10 years old or so. Uh, but there were many times when I would hear my mother's voice, especially uh, calling down the stairs, David Daniel Green. Uh, and I knew at that point that I had two options, either run or hide, because she only ever said that when I was in big trouble. And so you can tell a lot about a relationship between two people by the way that they refer to one another, the state of the relationship, whether it's a parent-child relationship, a husband and wife, and so forth. And today we're going to look at the text before us kind of from that angle. You'll see where I, what I'm saying as we go. Uh, Acts 9 records the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, truly, this is one of the greatest days in the history of the world. You probably know him better as the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts 13 explains, Saul, who was also called Paul, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So Saul, here in Acts 13, is called Paul, and pretty much from then on, he's referred to as Paul. Paul, or Saul, became an apostle. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. He is really the one that God used to launch the church into the ends of the earth. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen uh, the church in Jerusalem. Then we saw in Acts 8, the church goes into Judea and Samaria, uh, primarily through men like Philip. Uh, but now we see, uh, through the Apostle Paul and the, basically the last half of the book of Acts, the gospel going outside of Israel's borders into neighboring cities and countries uh, all over that region. And so Paul is really responsible as, as the one that God used to launch the church into these other nations. Paul also wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Today, we see the day that Saul became a Christian here in Acts chapter 9. Again, one of the greatest days in the history of the world. Aside from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this is probably the most significant event in the whole book. Now, this is huge. Before we get to the conversion of Saul, though, we need to take a step back and remember where he came from, who he was. We've seen some of who Saul was already in the early chapters of Acts. For example, back in chapter 7, Saul was one of those involved in the execution of Stephen. Uh, Stephen was that, that preacher and deacon in the church who proclaimed the gospel, convincingly persuading men that Jesus was Christ, and he became the first martyr of the early church. And I'll just read this section to refresh your memory. Acts 7 verse 58 says, They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this was Saul. He hated Christianity. He was ravaging the church, absolutely committed to destroying this movement of Jesus' followers. We'll see more about that in just a minute. We also know from uh, other texts that Saul was a Pharisee. He was a strict religious Jew. Saul was trained by Gamaliel, who was the leading teacher in Judaism at the time. And so Saul would have been very well educated. He really knew his Old Testament. Much of his training would involve memorizing large portions of the Old Testament law, uh, learning the traditional understandings and applications of it 
that the Pharisees had developed. Acts 26 verse 4, this is Paul speaking. He says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among uh, my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Again, uh, Acts 22, Paul speaking, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, zealous for God, as all of you are this day. By the way, notice that Saul was born in Tarsus, but he says he was brought up in the city of Jerusalem. It's very possible that Saul would have seen Jesus during his earthly ministry. When Jesus came down to Jerusalem, when he taught in the temple, uh, Saul was there. When Jesus stood trial before the Jewish leaders and was eventually crucified, Saul was in Jerusalem. And sometimes I wonder if maybe their eyes met at some point. Maybe Saul was one of those Pharisees debating with Jesus in Jerusalem. But there's no mention of that in Scripture, of course. I'm, I'm speculating at that point. But even if he hadn't talked directly with Jesus, he certainly would have been in Jerusalem when Jesus was put on trial and executed. A very possible Saul was involved in that. So Saul was a zealous Jew, a strict Pharisee, a well-educated in the Old Testament law. He had become a, a leader, really, among the Jews. We'll see that more as we go here. Even though he was a young man, he had really uh, been elevated to a position of leadership here. He hated Jesus. He hated his followers. Uh, he explains again in Acts chapter 26, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Saul viewed Jesus as a blasphemer, a fraud a false teacher that was corrupting the Jews, uh, leading people astray. And so Saul was convinced that he ought to oppose Jesus and stamp out his following. Verse 10 of that same chapter says, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That's probably an indication that Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, the high court of the Jews. And so he would cast his vote against them, meaning whenever Christians were brought on trial uh, before the, the court, Saul voted for them to be put to death. Stephen was the first of these martyrs, but we have no idea exactly how many others were killed after him. Apparently, uh, many others were. But in each case, Saul was voting there for their execution. Verse 11, Saul continues, or, or Paul now speaking, Acts 26, I punished them often in the, all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. We'll see a glimpse of this today as Saul heads up to Damascus, about 150 miles from Jerusalem. He's willing to travel that far uh, just to arrest some Christians and bring them on trial. He hated Christianity. He was furious that this movement was growing and spreading, and Saul was determined to, to put a stop to it. Paul prays in Acts 22, he's reflecting back on this former life of his. He says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by, approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So this was Saul, arch enemy of Christianity. He hated Jesus. He was angrily attacking the church. He arrested, beat, imprisoned both men and women. Any Christians that he could find, he would bring before the Sanhedrin, hoping to get an execution order from them. This was Saul. 
And with this backdrop, we'll get into the text this morning. Acts 9, beginning verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way is a term used in the early parts of Acts. We'll see it a few other times uh, to refer to Christians. And so Saul is going to the high priest, getting basically letters, the letters that are mentioned there would be extradition orders uh, from the authorities in Jerusalem. So that would give him the authority to arrest these citizens of Jerusalem who had fled to Damascus uh, because of, uh, basically to escape Paul's, uh, Saul's persecution. He was getting permission here to go after them in Damascus, arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. Saul wasn't content to just persecute Christians in Jerusalem. He wanted to stamp out the church anywhere that it was. But of course, his plans really changed. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's very near to the city now. He's completed this long trip. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As I said, we're going to look at this text through the, the, the angle of the, the titles that are given. The first one is there in verse 4, when Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul. The repetition of this name indicates sympathy, love, and disappointment. Let me show you what I mean, because Jesus addresses people like this several times. Uh, first, back in Luke chapter 10, uh, as they're on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus cared for Martha. He wasn't angry with her. This was a gentle rebuke. Martha, Martha. Again, in Luke chapter 22, when the disciples were debating among themselves about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus, he said to them in in, in, uh, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He was on to talk about how he has prayed for him. But again, note there the repetition of the name that indicates Jesus' heart of love for Simon. Disappointment mixed with compassion, and a desire that he would get back on track. One more, uh, Luke 13, Jesus prophesies the coming destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And as we'll find out later in the book of Luke, this was God's judgment against them for rejecting Christ. But he says in Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often Would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Again, you see the heart of Christ, his love and compassion for the city of Jerusalem, his desire that they would repent and be spared from the judgment that was coming to them. He's disappointed with them. He's heartbroken, pleading with them to repent. But his compassion is indicated there by the repetition of the name, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon. In the same way, here in Acts 9, Jesus says in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's showing us the heart of Christ for Saul. 
This man who was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus, and yet Jesus loved him. He speaks to him as one who is disappointed, longing for Saul to repent. Next notice, not only that Jesus calls him Saul, Saul, but notice what Jesus, I'm sorry, what Saul calls Jesus in the next verse, verse 5. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Lord, he didn't even know for sure who he was talking to, but he knew that this was the Lord. I'm not sure exactly what Saul saw in that vision, but it must have been frightening. Uh, He says the light was brighter than the noonday sun, so bright that it blinded him for three days. Uh, The shock of this encounter caused Saul to be knocked off of his, his horse onto the ground. I imagine that Saul maybe saw Jesus in a similar way that John did back in Revelation chapter 1. Listen to this description. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like uh, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, this is John speaking, I fell at his feet as though dead. Seeing Jesus in his ascended glorifying body was terrifying. And just like John, Paul falls down at the sight of Jesus. We get a little bit more detail about the conversation here on the Damascus Road in Acts 22. This is one of those times where Paul is recounting this story and explaining what happened. He says, I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. The word Lord means master. Uh, When Saul addressed Jesus as Lord, he's indicating his submission to to Christ's authority, to his lordship. This is radical repentance. Saul goes from hating Jesus to serving Jesus, from trying to stamp out the church to now asking Christ, What will you have me to do, Lord? Just tell me and I will obey. By the way, Paul often uh, throughout his life refers to himself as the servant or even the slave of Christ. For example, Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Again, Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. That day on the Damascus Road, Saul gave his life completely to the control of Jesus. Whatever you tell me to do, Lord, I'll do it. That was Saul's attitude. In response, Jesus says in verse 6 of our text, Rise, enter the city, you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Uh, Remember back in Acts 22, it says they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. They heard the, the noise. Uh, but they couldn't articulate. Somehow Jesus was communicating directly to Saul and uh, veiled their ears from understanding what was said. And so they stand up speechless. They're shocked. They know something crazy has just happened. Saul rises from the ground, and although his 
Eyes were opened, verse 8, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I'm convinced that Saul probably spent most of those three days doing a lot of weeping, realizing that he had beaten and imprisoned and killed servants of the Lord. I can only imagine how it broke his heart to feel the weight of what he had done. Verse 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is understandably cautious about these instructions. Saul's reputation preceded him. They knew that he was coming, and they knew exactly what he was coming there to do. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Uh, By the way, not only did Saul become a disciple, a follower of Jesus at this point, but he became an apostle. An apostle is one who is chosen by Christ to be an official spokesman for him. Uh, Apostles had the authority to set the doctrine in the church because they spoke for Christ. Uh, Acts 2 verse 42 says the church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, Also Ephesians chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So apostles are very important. Uh, They played a critical role in leading the church in these early years. They also wrote our New Testament as God's Spirit spoke uh, through them and gave them the scripture that we're studying this morning. And so Paul was chosen by Jesus right here to be an apostle, just like Jesus chose the other 12 uh, earlier in his earthly ministry. Uh, Back to the text, verse 17. We've seen the heart of Jesus as he says, Saul, Saul. We've seen Saul respond by calling Jesus Lord. Here's one probably even more amazing than those. Look at verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Wow. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Brother Saul. Ananias was from Damascus, which means he was one of the ones that Saul was headed there to arrest. Again, Paul said in Acts 22, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds or in chains to Jerusalem to be punished. Had Saul fulfilled his intentions in heading down that Damascus road, Ananias, maybe his wife, their friends from church, they would have been beaten, imprisoned, maybe killed. Yet here Ananias calls him brother. The man formerly an enemy is now a brother in the Lord. Ananias says to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Uh, as a pastor, I read this and think, what an amazing privilege it must have been to baptize Saul. Uh, Ananias must have been stunned that God had changed the heart of this man who had been attacking the church. By the way, uh, Saul was not saved apart from hearing the gospel. Uh, he is the one who said in Romans chapter 10, How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So Saul had heard the gospel. Uh, he had heard Stephen preaching in Acts chapter 7. He knew the message that Christians were preaching, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, that if we will repent and believe the gospel, our sins will be forgiven, will be given eternal life. Uh, Saul knew all of that. He had heard the gospel message. He had just rejected it up until now. But now he believes it. He's seen the risen Christ with his own eyes. So he submits himself to Christ and becomes a disciple. Another thing I think is important to point out here, this also came up last week really with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. In both cases, God is clearly sovereign over their salvation. The eunuch was seeking God, whereas Saul was opposing God and attacking the church. But God saved them both. In one case, by sending a preacher into the middle of the desert, and in Saul's case, by knocking him off his horse and confronting him with the risen Christ. But in both cases, God did this. In the 1700s, there was a man named John who was heavily, heavily involved for years of his life in the slave trade. For a while, he was even the captain of his own slave ship. He was one of those who would sail to Africa, capture people, chain them, and bring them back uh, to Europe or to America where they would be sold uh, to the plantation owners. Later in his life, John became an investor in these slave trades, and he did this for years. This was his business. But then one day in 1748, John's life was changed forever. He became a follower of Jesus. John spent the rest of his life opposing the evil that he had spent so many years involved in. He renounced the slave industry. He became an abolitionist. I'm speaking, by the way, of John Newton. He's best known for being the one who penned these words that we sing often today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This was the testimony of Saul, a wretch, a man who had done unspeakable evil. And yet here he is, a recipient of the amazing grace of God. Toward the end of the book of Acts, Paul ends up in prison in Rome where he's eventually killed. And I can't prove this, but I think that the day that Paul entered heaven, I think that day Paul entered heaven to the cheers and applause of those that he had martyred. I think Stephen was right there at the front of the crowd to greet Paul because that's how the kingdom of God works. In this moment on the road to Damascus, everything in Saul's life changed forever. He got a new name. He submitted to a new Lord. He was given a new purpose, and he was welcomed into a new family. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 
The grace of God in saving each one of us should never stop amazing us. The fact that God forgives our sins, he transforms our lives, and he welcomes us into his family. Doesn't matter what our background is, doesn't matter what our past is. This is the amazing grace of God. Now, normally at this point in the sermon, I would pray and we would take a few moments for reflection and prayer, but I thought we'd do something different this morning. Uh, let's stand together, and I'd like for us just to close by singing Amazing Grace. I think in light of uh, the text this morning, and the example of Saul's conversion, that would be an appropriate note to end on.